Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming, adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals, the Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hello there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kisson. I'm so thankful and so grateful that you're spending your time with me here on the podcast, wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, If you haven't already done so, if you can take a brief moment after this episode and head to wherever you get your podcasts, and if you can share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review, it'll do so much to help the podcast grow. And I personally really appreciate it. Um, I feel like I'm putting a lot of energy into this. I've got a, a large message to share with the world and I can use all the help I can get. So again, if you haven't already done so, I'd really appreciate it if you can uh, contribute a little bit and share, subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. I'm super excited to share our guest on the episode today. She's probably one of the most creative individuals that I've met in my life. Um, her story's fascinating because it's just throughout her career, it's just been one creative endeavor after another, and she's excelled at it all. I've gotten to know her in our mutual networking group, BNI, for those of you who are listening and a member of BNI out there. So there's uh, lots, to, lots of golden nuggets that you can learn from fellow members. But I'm super excited to share uh, my friend Shireen Strasberg here on the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. Shireen, how are you? And welcome to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me today. This is long overdue. Absolutely. So just to set the table, Shireen, you are the founder and creative director at your own company, 87th Street Creative, where you help companies and individuals alike with motion design, but on large scale creative design projects, right? Um, so exactly. maybe if I can just do this, I'll pull back a little bit. And if you can share a little about yourself, who you are, what you do. Sure thing. So um uh, I'm Shireen, Shireen Strasberg, and my business is called 87th Street Creative. 
and uh, it was named after the street I was living on when I started my business um, on West 87th Street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And um, I started the company about six years ago. It'll be six years on February 1st of 2021, so just about six years. Um, and yes, working, uh, doing motion design, a lot of animation, but also um, doing graphic design uh, for small companies, large companies, for-profit, non-profit, almost kind of anything. There's nothing really I won't do. If, if you can take us back, I want to, I want to go back to the beginning of your journey. Um, not necessarily, I mean, if you want to share when you were a baby, we can do that. But uh, I know that in terms of your career and your journey to where you are today, there, there have been quite a number of pit stops along the way and pivots. You, you spent a long time in sound production and sound engineering before getting into graphic and motion design. So maybe take us back to wherever you think is a good starting point where you, you saw yourself be, being a creative um, and in the creative space. Sure thing. So yeah, let, let's call them pivots instead of pit stops. I like, I like pivots better. Um, so yeah, I started um, really, you know, as a very, from a very young age um, as, as a musician. And I really knew by the time I was a teenager that I wanted to do music professionally. And I really aspired to be a film composer. So I was kind of instructed to get a sort of classical music education. So I actually, um, I won a scholarship to Indiana University, uh, which has a great music school program. And I got a Bachelor of Music in Composition. Um, although my parents really encouraged me to have sort of a backup career. So I also got a Bachelor of Science on audio engineering at the same time. Um, but really, I kind of always had my eye on the prize of really wanting to do film scoring. So after I finished school, I went and got my master's of music in film scoring, which was a two-year program. And then right from there, I moved to Los Angeles and really began my career as a film composer. And, you know, there were definitely some ups and downs along the way. Uh, there, there was no... Uh, Netflix at the time, or Netflix was a DVD company. So it's not like Amazon Prime was making show content. Um, you know, it was really kind of still in the early years of independent films. So, you know, Sundance was, you know, the big festival, you know, or a lot of independent small film festivals. So a lot of the projects that I was working on was um, short films that, you know, were going to be going to uh, film festivals and doing that circuit um, and eventually going on to DVD. And um, so it was, um, it was a series of short films that I did as well as documentaries. Um, and I actually, you know, really connected well with a documentary filmmaker who I ended up doing three films for. Um, and that was great and I loved it. I also did support myself working as a sound engineer. And I was uh, employed full time for about five years at National Public Radio, which was a really great job. And I, I mean, it was my sort of my backup career, but I, but I really, really loved it and was very happy there. Um, but over the, those eight years that I was doing that, um, there were two, two struggles I was really having. One is that um, I sort of say like the MP3 killed the audio engineer in the sense that when I started my job, I was you know, doing six to seven hours of work. But by the end of those five years uh, at NPR, I was doing like two or three hours of work because so much had been automated or become so much easier that the journalists could do a lot of the technical work themselves. 
Um, so there was just not as much work um, as a sound engineer. And then the second thing that happened was I really changed my focus in terms of wanting more work-life balance. And because as an audio engineer, you really have to be on-site, in-person, working really crazy hours. And then as a film composer, you need to be out networking at night, going to film festivals, going to screenings, um, meeting directors and producers. And all of that was pulling me you know, from early morning to late at night. I would be sometimes going uh, on air live um, broadcasting at four o'clock in the morning. And then I'd be going to a film festival at eight o'clock at night uh, that wouldn't be done until midnight. So it was an exhausting time and at right as this time was happening, I was also um, meeting the man who'd become my husband, and I knew I wanted to have a family with him. So I decided to go back to school again and get a certificate in graphic design at uh, UCLA's extension program, which was great. And I really enjoyed that. Um, so then, yeah, so then should we go on from there? Okay, so then the next step was um, I was doing graphic design and um, right around that time the economy crashed it was like 2008 to 2010 and um, my my husband and i both uh, got laid off and he was given a job offer in new york city and we went across the country from la to new york and i started working really in um, graphic design in new york and after doing that for about five years I decided, or well, maybe it was seven years, something like that. I decided to um, start pursuing um, opportunities on my own and really starting to freelance. And I realized that I was gonna be able to, to do this full time for myself. And so I started my own company. And as the work continued, I realized I really wanted to go from graphic design to motion design. And I felt that in a sense, coming into motion design was like coming full circle in terms of like my previous careers in sound and film, um, applying that with visuals and graphic design. It was really like bringing all of my skills uh, together. Okay, so now that now that we've set the table, <laughs> yes, I wanna I wanna hop back if I can. I actually, as you as you were sharing the the origin story in in music, right? Um, when you when you were learning. Do you play more than, was it more than one instrument or, or how did that? Yeah, happen? I mean, you know, like in growing up, I played piano, um, like, you know, privately, I had private lessons, but then I also played flute in an orchestra. And then uh, when I realized there were too many flute players and I was never going to be the best, I decided to take up oboe so I could be the only and best oboist in our orchestra. Have you ever thought back to that period of your life and particularly music, picking up music as like, not just a hobby, but as a livelihood and, and a primary talent. What about music, like really, what about, what drew you so much to music and compo eventually composing and scoring? What, what about the process, whether it's just the instrument or like creating music really resonated with you? Sure, that's a good question. So um, there was actually a very specific event that happened. Around the time I was 16, um, I saw a, a movie. It almost doesn't matter what the movie is, but it happened to be uh, uh, Prince of Tides, um, which was the Barbara Streisand, Nick Nolte film based on uh, uh, a book. And I, 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 there's this scene in the movie where a violinist is you know very very animatedly playing his violin and you know he's just at a, at a cocktail party at like a an apartment i think in manhattan 
And, but you know, the way the camera like zooms around him and, and shows what he's playing um, at the end of the scene in the, in the movie theater, I started clapping. And I was like, oh, whoa, shoot, what am I doing? I'm like, I'm like, in a, you know, there's people around me. And I had to stop clapping, but I realized, oh my God, what happened was between the visuals of like watching him playing and the, you know, the listening, I was transported. I was taken to another world. And I thought that was amazing, that you could just forget that you're just sitting in some movie theater in some town eating popcorn and that you are transported to, you know, Carnegie Hall, in, you know, in this scene, he, it's like he was playing right to me in a, in a concert hall venue. And I was like, that is powerful. I want to do that. I want to take my music and write something that goes with you know, your like a director's visuals and transport the viewer. That, that's unique, uniquely powerful. Um, because I, I, like me personally, I think I struggle with finding now in my life like that, what really drew me to what I'm doing now. So I, I like, I'm almost envious that you have that kind of story. As, as you moved along in your career and, and pursuing, you know, audio engineering and whatnot, did you bring that with you, do you think? I mean, in many ways, the audio engineering, it was just what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a, a backup um, in that, you know, I had parents who were very practical people. Um, my, my father was an attorney um, and... Um, Sorry to imply that attorneys are practical as you are one yourself, but um, but yeah, I, so I, I think it was intended to be, you know, as meant for just the practicality of that, you know, I think people sometimes value the technical skills maybe over the creative skills. And so I was able to like learn so much of the very technical aspects of sound. Um, but I also really love that. Like that, and that's the thing. I think there is a, Part, you know, my brain is a left brain, right brain strengths that I, I do love both aspects of that. I mean, I even, I mean, go back to like the early 80s. I, you know, I was like the first kid on my block to have like a dual cassette deck so that I could like, you know, record the radio and make mixtapes. And like I was doing that like from the earliest age I could without, you know, necessarily the resources because my parents weren't in those fields. But anytime I could get my hands on anything that was, you know, technical, like, you know, taking apart pieces of equipment, like I was doing that. So that was always something that I really enjoyed. And then, you know, it was nice that I, I landed at National Public Radio because um, as, as an engineering job, I, I got to learn all the, the, fun, great stuff of doing, you know, live broadcasting. But I was also working in an environment where there were amazingly interesting and talented and creative people. And that's always been something that has been important to me, that I, I want to be with interesting and, and, and wonderful people. And I felt like those, those years I was there, you know, there, there's that saying, um, you should never be the smartest person in the room or, or you should be the dumbest person or something like that. And so I always felt like whenever I walked into work, like I was just surrounded by brilliant, brilliant people. And um, every day I was there, I felt like that. That's awesome. Um, you shared a little about when, when you were in, in LA particularly, there was a lot of late nights, a lot of like networking and whatnot. I'm, I'm always fascinated when I talk to people who are in 
production, whether it's movie, sound, uh, TV, what, film, film, and, film and music, only because there's a lot that we or individuals not in the industry don't know what goes on behind the scenes and in the dark. Are there parts of, of that experience at NPR, um, freelance composing, that you, you, you expected and you realized? And are there parts of it that you were like, this is not what I signed up for? Um, wow. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, for one thing, you know, it takes just a ton of networking in the sense that you, you've got to meet people. I mean, it's not like I had any connections in LA. So I really just kind of went there somewhat blindly and that it requires networking and knowing people. Um, and I think in many ways, but every, everything is like that. I mean, I guess you could say some fields, whether it's, you know, medical or legal, where it's like, okay, you'll probably get a job, but you're much likely to be far more successful if, if you know people or if you know how to network and make connections. And I think that that is, you know, a lesson that, you know, I, I, I can apply to anything that it's helped me to, you know, figure out how to network and how to, you know, be, you know, an interesting person in the room to talk to and how to, you know, speak to people and ask questions and, and you know, have engaging conversations. Um, I think also one of the things that was frustrating was a little bit the, the business side of it in terms of like understanding, okay, I, this is what I have to charge. And a lot of people aren't going to want to pay this and having to push back on that. Um, one of the frustrations as a film composer so much was like, people were like, well, why should I pay you for scoring my film, it's a privilege. You should be, you know, so thankful that I'm letting you write music. And it was like, yeah, okay, sort of, not really. I mean, it's not like you're Steven Spielberg and even Steven Spielberg doesn't make his composers work for free. Um, so it's like, that was a little bit of a shock to me. And um, just in terms of like a little bit, the understanding that the, the, the commodity and, Having people and and I and I think that that's probably changed a little bit over the years, and you could say it's almost changed for better and for worse. In the sense that you know, suddenly when you know <laughs> Napster came along and people were just downloading music like crazy, you know, the, the value of music dropped immensely. But I think that over time, it's starting. You know, it's it, it's it's come back in terms of how like a lot of the uh, music labels and music companies have figured out how to to commoditize. Um, music better, whether it's, you know, Spotify, but even in terms of like music licensing and libraries and um, like, you know, now with music libraries, instead of just saying, okay, you download it, it's free, fine, you know, it's free license. Now there's like, well, you can download it for a hundred dollars and that will be for web use. But if you want to download it and use it on broadcasting, it's going to be $500. So it just sort of took a little while for the business side, I think, of the music industry to catch up when the technical side was was running at full speed and, you know, the recording industry was a little bit thrown upside down. And I kind of was caught in the crossroads of that. Um, so it's okay, though. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk a little about pursuing, once you saw opportunities that maybe you can do your own thing and just be your own boss. Did you ever, was there a point before that, before like the opportunities became apparent to uh, pursue your own business and, and, and um, your own agency that you, you had, 
you wanted to be your own entrepreneur, your own boss. Um, was that something that you think occurred early on in your life or just as a matter of course through your life that it became more of a priority? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of the bit of both in the sense that it was kind of always assumed that like, I mean, it's like if I wanted to pursue film scoring, like I didn't, I didn't really know other film composers. I wasn't really going to be able to work for them. Um, so I had to work for myself. Um, on the other hand, I think there's also a little bit about a feeling that I have of like ownership in the sense that I didn't, even from, from very early on, I never really wanted to be like uh, the assistant to a composer or the orchestrator for another composer. It's like there, there, there are opportunities like that definitely for people early on in their career. But I just felt like it's like I didn't want to be a ghostwriter. Um, I didn't want like you know, the first time I saw my name on a screen, um, like up there in front of an audience, it was, it was amazing. And it was my name and it wasn't anyone else's and it was my music. I, I had touched every note and written every note and that was amazing. And I realized maybe, you know, okay, I didn't have the opportunity to work on Hollywood blockbusters because I was, you know, doing, you know, much more low profile films, but, but I'm okay with that. And that was a choice that, that I made, um, that I, that I feel, feel good with. And, and that's even, transferred into how I've run my own business as a motion designer, that I'm not creating ads for Apple that are going to be seen by millions of people, but that's okay because I know I'm the only one working on my projects. And while I, I am happy to, to, to work in a group and I would be happy to, to partner up with people, um, I don't necessarily be wanting to be working at, you know, the biggest agencies where there's, you know, like hundreds of worker bees working on a project. Um, and actually, I think that's a story that you hear a lot in the motion design industry. Um, I mean, one of the, the biggest motion designers um, who, who can pretty much do an ad for anyone, a motion design project, he started out in the, the film world as well. And he, he worked on a project where he was, you know, creating animated waves. And he realized that when the film was done, he had done like, a little tiny corner and a little tiny section of the little tiny wave of the large ocean and nobody would know what he worked on and like now everybody knows everything here he works on because he's doing the entire thing himself so he's one of the top people in the industry but he's kind of on his own he's just one guy so <laughs> I forgot who, what, who, who I had this conversation with but it's something similar where you you and I've experienced this myself. I realized like a long time ago that I wouldn't be able to work for someone because I don't want to put in like my, all this effort. And then all, the only thing that I get is a tip of the cat at an all hands meeting. Right. Um, like there's, there's monetary compensation and whatnot, but then, yeah, there's the feeling of what's, what's my real, at least for me, what's my real, what's my contribution here? Like how am I really impacting others and whatnot? Um, the thing, one thing I did want to ask you is I want to dive into a little about your business as a motion, uh, like a motion artist and the work that you do and how you work with clients. But I'm curious your take on the influence of composition in what you do now, right? Because when, when a client, and I don't know exactly how it is you work with a client, so maybe we can talk about that first, but then how does how does your mind work with taking taking an idea and then conceptualizing it? Because uh, it, it, the reason why I bring your your work as in music is because if you're scoring a film, like the same thing, you're arranging notes and figuring out like what sounds need to be 
here and there to evoke emotion. So maybe share a little about how you work with your clients now at 87th Street Creative um, and then what that relationship is like when someone engages you, how, how you sort of flesh out the idea into something conceptual and the, what the, how that building process looks like. Sure. I mean, in many ways, it actually feels very similar from my time as a film composer. I mean, basically, I would be brought on, you know, at a, on a film and uh, the director, or the producer would bring me on and we'd discuss the project and, you know, how to um, take it and, you know, add the music to it in a way that supports that the film. And it's very similar with 87th Street Creative in the work that I do with clients where they're bringing me a, a script. That's pretty much where they're starting. But the script is about a product or a service. Um, and what I am trying to do with my motion graphic is support that. And just like the supporting of the, my film, my music was for the film. So um, I'll give you an example. Uh, just recently, a uh, social media marketing uh, consultant for a, uh, a startup who's creating um, electric vehicles, um, or the, uh, it's an app that allows you to lease uh, electric vehicles. So if you're interested in buying electric vehicles, but maybe you don't want to buy the entire car, you can lease it or rent it. And so they have this, you know, very built up system of the app and the website and the service, but they wanted to create an ad that would promote this. And so it's like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to support that? How is the, the animation, the movement, the colors, the design all going to support that? Obviously, I have a little bit of a starting point in terms of like the product, but also even the branding guidelines. They have a logo already, but how do I make it? move that's going to be fun and interesting and and just make it animated and enjoyable to watch that supports their service or business are there any elements that you or or when when you're working with clients are there and i guess i want to frame this as a struggle but when, when you work with someone is it what's the biggest tension or obstacle that you feel that you may face with clients is it that they they may be unclear as to what they want. Is it that they don't have the idea or vision actually fleshed out far enough? If you, and again, I'm not calling anyone out, but like if you can say these are like the common objections or challenges that I face. If someone's listening to this, if I want to work with a motion, you know, a motion designer, how, how can I be a better prepared client to work with you? Good question. So um, I think a couple of things. I mean, one is um, definitely having your script uh, fleshed out as much as possible, but also cut down as much as possible. In other words, making sure your script is clear, concise, and, um, and, and brief. I think people don't realize that you know, writing or writing and reading is so different in the sense that there isn't like a an as much as a, of a, an attention deficit that, that is created with watching a video. Um, I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I want a three minute video. And I'm like, no, you, nobody's going to probably watch like a three minute video. It's really long. You know, we're, we're sort of now because of, you know, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, you know, we're in this era of, of very, very quick, short and succinct, um, videos and um and it's funny because i'm saying this but of course this uh uh electric vehicle company they wanted to do a 10 second ad and then i did it and it was so fast and so quick you could barely read the text and i said let's make it a 20 second video and we did and it was so much better um 
but again, we didn't, we didn't change, we didn't really cut any of the script. We more just gave time enough to read the, the text that, that was on there. Um, so, but I, but I guess that's, it can, so it can go either way. It's about making sure that um, the, the text has sort of breathing room, whether it's um, visual text that's, that a viewer could read or as a voiceover that someone can listen to and understand at the same time. Um, so sometimes that's a little bit of the challenges. Um, other challenges are also in terms of understanding like the, the sort of the, the visual style. Um, I think it would always help if, um, if clients had examples of what they liked and not necessarily even visuals. I mean, there's so much, you can basically find any animated graphics online now. So if you see a really cool ad that you like, that's just, you know, shapes and colors and text moving. And I mean that, you know, if you like the way is, I mean, part of it is like the style that they're moving. Part of it is the speed that they're moving. You know, um, it's always would be helpful if, you know, clients could say, oh, I really like how, you know, this ball flew into the screen and, or I really like the way these shapes morphed into each other. Like all of that would be helpful in terms of the visual language that I'm working in. You have a, for 87th Street Creative, like a, a dream project, not necessarily client, but like a, a, a dream project, what that would look like. Um, whether it's, yeah, I don't know if it's on TV or, or what, yeah, what that experience would be like. My dream project, um, it's probably going to be with the New York Times. Um, I love the New York Times. I read them all the time and um, they do a, a ton of visual content. I know when people think New York Times, they think news, journalism, you know, print articles, but they really have so much content. And um, it can be any anything from from visual content that is um, uh, fact based, meaning it can actually be like an, an animated infographic, um, but it could also be a story. It could be um, interviews with with people who are sharing their story and um, and and making that story visually interesting by animating it. Um, so, I mean, the New York Times has done all sorts of visual and uh, video stories and series like, um, you know, one about uh, uh, women in pregnancy or I, I mean, I think they've done, you know, various ones through uh, the elections and, and, and polling. And um, I mean, so, yeah, kind of anything with the New York Times. I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's see if we can make that happen. Um, I want to talk to you now about maybe a little more intimately about your business and, and running a business and the challenges you faced balancing your personal life with professional life. How, how do you find, um, what, as you've designed 87th street creative, would you say that you've designed it to work for you? Like I, I know for me, my office has been a challenge. And I think one of the things is that I'm not very good with like, I struggle with time management and I, I let things get very close to my chest with when things go wrong versus when things go right. So how do you feel like you've balanced your, your business with your personal life, family life? Um, and if there are challenges that you feel maybe you still struggle with or you've kind of like ironed those out. Um, that's great. And, um, Sorry to hear about your, your office struggles, um, business struggles. Before we got on this call, you saw I was tear my hair out. Richard was very stressed at the beginning of this call before we started. Um, so, um, 
how, okay, so a couple ways um, and that I run my business. And what was so interesting is before the pandemic, it, there were a lot of struggles in the sense that like people always wanted me to be on site or having a meeting in person. And I really couldn't do that. Um, I have three very young children right now. They're ages three, six, and nine. And um, my husband works full time, typically in the city. And um, so I really needed to have a flexible schedule. And um, so there really wasn't an opportunity for me to have local clients. Even though I lived in or near New York City, uh, for when I started my business, I was in Manhattan. Now I live in Port Washington uh, in Long Island. So it didn't even matter. Even when I lived right in the middle of Manhattan, I couldn't be on site because I really needed to be around for my kids. And so um, at that point, really all of my clients were were all over the country. I had clients in California, Colorado, Oregon, Chicago, Texas. Um, and that now with the pandemic and everybody is remote and suddenly everybody's on Zoom, which I've been doing for the last six years, it's great. So now I'm getting projects with New York City Manhattan-based companies. And it's awesome because they're like, oh, we don't care where you're located, just get the work done. And I do. And so, um, I mean, I hate to say there's a silver lining to the pandemic because I would not want this pandemic at all. And it's terrible what's happening. Um, but for me, that it has opened up many more doors for me and allowed me to still have an incredible work-life balance in that I can get my kids on the bus for school in the morning. I can then work all day and be around enough to have time to make dinner and pick them up after school. And that's kind of amazing. And never in a million years, obviously, thought this would happen. Um, so, um, so, you know, just even being able to, to be remote, I, I'm really pretty good at time management in that I know my hours are so brief and I think this comes from just, you know, partly being a, a mom and that I, I always say that people should try to hire mothers instead of not trying to hire them. Um, I don't know why there's, you know, stigma against hiring moms because we like to uh, GSD, get stuff done. Um, and so, um, so it's like, I know my hours are so limited that I'm going to really push to get my work done as quickly as possible. With respect to 87th Street Creative, where do you see the, the business heading? I mean, do you want to keep it like intimately where your, like every project is your baby and your, you know, your product? Or do you have any ambition to, to grow, I don't know if, uh, how much you, uh, in terms of agency work or creating agency, where, where do you see 87th Street Creative going for you, uh, where you are in your life right now? I mean, I think right now I see it as just being more and more and more in the sense of more projects, more clients, um, more, more money for the projects. Um, I, I mean, I think there, you know, I could see my, my rates going up. So um, as well as, you know, and, and forget like, you know, the money and the clients, I think even having more presence and, you know, uh, people, people knowing my work and knowing what I do, I think that, you know, I'd love to sort of grow my social media marketing presence. That would be amazing. Um, as far as like, I think, you know, hiring more people, I don't really see that that's something I aspire to do for my business, but I 
do like the idea of, you know, maybe partnering um, or collaborating um, with, you know, a select number of people. I, you know, I would have nothing against uh, an illustrator who has a very, you know, wonderful, unique, engaging style that would look amazing to be animated. I would have nothing against, you know, collaborating with them and saying, okay, let's work together to take your visual style and, and make it move, um, you know, to, you know, whether it's selling a product or, um, or promoting something. Um, another thing is that um, recently, as sort of my COVID-19 project, uh, if you want to call it, is um, I worked on animating a children's book. And I reached out to the author and the illustrator, and I said, can I just animate your book? And the book was all about climate change. And, um, but it was about teaching climate change to like our youngest learners, you know, it's like really geared toward three to seven year olds. And I animated the book and um, it ended up being like a two and a half minute short film. And eventually my hope is to, when there's film festivals in person, I would like to get that, um, the, the, the short film out there and share it with the world. And I think the opportunity to animate more books would, would really be something fun. And I think it only would help to complement uh, the book and the stories. And um, it's just about bringing those books to life and, and sharing them hopefully with a, with a wider audience. This is a question, I, mean, I guess, maybe for individuals who are maybe solopreneurs, smaller businesses, particularly that, uh, in terms of who, who may listen to this podcast. But are there trends that you see either, or maybe recommendations that you would have for small business owners about incorporating video and or motion design into their uh, marketing? And also maybe trends in the technology or in the space where motion design may be heading. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on either of those two things. Um, well, I, I do think that it, it, it really does help in terms of making an animated element part of your you know, presence. And that can be anything from like, let's say you're a business who has a video that people watch when they come to your website. Or, um, or a short animated ad on your social media channel. Um, I think those, you know, are, are, are great because it, it brings in the eyeballs, you know. Um, and one of the biggest things that, you know, when you read and research about marketing, they say is that what, you know, the amount of seconds somebody stays on a website is so small, you know, it's like average like three seconds or something. But when you add video, it it, 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 it makes them stay on the website so much longer. Um, so I, you know, I would really recommend that people say, you know, or, or I, I would really recommend people to think about not just, okay, I have to hi I have to, you know, make this two minute long video. No, it could be 15 seconds. It could be 20 seconds. It doesn't have to be really, really long and it doesn't have to be a ton of work and take months. It, it can really be done pretty quickly. Um, and I, I heard someone um, months ago, I read a book, I, I can't remember the name of the author, but she talked about how um, there's sort of two ways of looking at motion design. It's when you have, it's useful for when you have something to sell or something to tell. And the something to sell is where, let's say you have a product and or either a product, a new product or a new service, and maybe it's a little bit confusing about what the service is or what the product does. And if you can explain that in an animated video in a visually interesting, compelling way, 
that is amazing rather than having a whole long you know paragraphs and paragraphs of text to explain it you can just sum it up in you know a 30 to 60 second video and then with the something to tell i think that that works great for nonprofits because a lot of times you have either a mission statement or um, or some data and statistics that you want to share in a visually interesting way and being able to show that rather than having a you know 50 slide powerpoint that you know maybe um, casual visitors to your website aren't going to or, you know view and look at but that maybe if you take that 50 page powerpoint slide and combine it into a 60 second video that really tells your story for your nonprofit, I think that can be really helpful um, to sharing your, your mission. I want to kind of pull this back full circle. You shared early, early on that one of the, one of your first like emotions that you experienced at watching that movie Prince of Tides kind of like drew you into music. Um, and, and now that the work, like bringing these ideas to life in an animation, do you have, and I'm not, I don't mean to call out favorites or whatnot, but do you have a project or something that you've, you worked on one of your works that you think for yourself or maybe even your client brought out that same emotion that you experienced watching that movie years and years ago? Um, I think that um, one of the projects I worked on um, just before the pandemic actually was for uh, Mobilize and they're, um, they're a for-profit company but what they do is they work with nonprofits and campaigns and uh, unions and they basically are a platform for how to connect volunteers to those organizations. And I really think what they're doing is incredible work. And this idea of like, okay, there are millions of people who need to mobilize and volunteer for organizations who need help. You know, let's create, they created this platform to connect them. And one of the things that they said to me when um, I connected with them is that this is what this platform does, but people don't understand it. And we don't have a way of explaining it without, you know, tons of like, you know, text and visuals. And, and when I say visuals, I mean like, uh, you know, graphs and um, snapshots of the website. And so they came to me with this idea of like, we want to take, you know, all these images from our website and explain it so that it can all be summed up in like an explainer video. And um, so, and actually they were supposed to take this explainer video that I did to a conference at the end of March in 2020, um, that was a conference for nonprofits. And unfortunately that conference did not happen because of the pandemic. Um, but the idea is that they're really trying to reach so many uh, nonprofits to get them to use their platform. And I think being able to explain that in such like a visually interesting, fun way for me was just, just an incredibly exciting opportunity. Um, you know, it didn't do what, you know, happened when I was scoring film. It didn't transpose me to another world. Um, but it, it, it did... Um, 
I, I felt very empowered that I was able to um, help this organization, this company, make a connection and help them bring you know millions of volunteers to their clients. These you know nonprofits, unions, and campaigns. Oh, that's super. I mean, that was a roundabout way of asking, like, do you have a favorite project that you worked on? But that's cool that you, you like that that product and that project. You you had so much like so much not i'm not saying involvement in it but like your support for the cause and and feeling really energized around that uh shereen this has been great you're you are absolutely one of the most creative people that i know and you're like fun always smiling so it's really cool if people do want to connect with you and 87th street creative what are what are some ways that maybe they can reach out to you whether it's a social media or so Sure. So uh, definitely going to my website, 87thstreetcreative.com. So that's 87th and then street spelled out creative.com. Um, I'm also on um, all the social media sites. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on um, Instagram. Instagram is a great way to connect with me. Um, and I'm at 87th Street Creative uh, on Instagram, um, as well as I have um, a Vimeo site that shows all of the animated projects um, that I've done over the last several years. Uh, and that's a great way to connect with me. You can always connect with me as just Shireen, uh, Shireen Strausberg on LinkedIn. Um, I would love that. And always trying to grow my social media presence. So please, if you're listening to this, connect with me. That would be wonderful. I'd love to, to hear from you. Very awesome. Definitely link those up in the show notes. Uh, and very cool that your, your branding is all 87.3 Creative. You want to have uniform, uniform branding wherever you go. Shereen, this has been great. I, I so much enjoy talking to you. And I'm, I'm so thankful that you came on here sharing your, your experience, your insight, and your energy uh, in this. If, if we can start wrapping up, if you have any parting words that you'd like to share with the audience, whether it's about your passion for uh, the arts, your, what you do as a creative endeavor in business, or about just being? Sure. Um, well, I one of the places I always come from um, is that just always be nice. Um, be nice and be friendly. Give someone the benefit of the doubt. Um, we're, all, we're all in this together, and we're all working on um, creating, you know, great, creative, interesting work, and um, to always just... Um, you know, be collaborative, work together and, um, and, and, you know, make something, make something beautiful. Um, and I think you, Richard, are amazing for doing this podcast. And I just want to put it out there that I think this has uh, been an incredible project that you've done now for at least it seems like a year. I don't know. Um, but lots of, lots of episodes and uh, it's really incredible what you're doing. I appreciate that. I'm blushing underneath this beard. So again, everyone, uh, Shireen Strasberg, 87th Street Creative. Uh, connect with her on LinkedIn. I'll link up again, IG and whatnot, but definitely hit her up. And if you've got any projects out there that you need some animation for, she's the person to reach out to. So again, Shireen, thank you so much for sharing your time, energy, and insight with us on the podcast. And until next time, Air Nation, take care, be well, and bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online. 
as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.